and great music as always. Good morning. Well, I started to take my coat off like everybody else, and then I saw Brent had his own. And I feel like, now wait a minute. Hold on. They asked me to come preach this morning. All right. I'm going to endure with Brett during this time. Is that okay? And if at some point you decide to take your coat off, I'll take mine off. All right. I'm going to keep an eye on you. All right. Well, it's great to be back with you. It's been a while. In fact, I think this is the first time I've spoken in this location. So it's a, let me just tell you, it's a great facility. I was here for the missions conference and, uh, man, the acoustics are great in here. Uh, the, the band's good, but they sound even better in this building, you know, don't they? So I uh, appreciate uh, all of you being here. This morning, I want to uh, talk to you or, or, or bring a message from Second Timothy. But if you will, before we get into that, turn with me to uh, the book of James in the first chapter. That's just a, a couple of books over. And you'll notice here that uh, in the, the first chapter of James, in verse 22, he writes to the church, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who do what? Delude yourselves, sir. Uh, really don't show forth the truth of that word that you've heard. Uh, it, you know, hearing is great. We need to hear the word. We're here to hear the word. But if all it is is just hearing, and if there is no doing, then what good is it? That's a, a message that uh, Paul echoes here in writing to his beloved uh, son in the faith, uh, Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to bring our message from here, but before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word which penetrates the hearts of your people. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would move all of us aside and that you'd give the Holy Spirit free reign. We invite him to be with us, to teach, to instruct, to penetrate the heart of each one of us, that we might know your will, that we might know your purpose, that we might know where you would send us and what you would have us to do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm uh, titling this, Show What You Know. Do we need some of that today? Show what you know? But you, you know, you can know things and never show anybody you know it. Right? Uh, but Paul speaks to Timothy here, and uh, just a little background, when Paul writes the letter to 2 Timothy, he's in prison. In fact, he's on death row. He thinks he's just about to be executed. This is kind of his last will and testament, you might say, to Timothy. These are the things that are important to him that he wants to share with Timothy. And one of the things that he shares in this passage is to show what you know. You've been grounded, but are you showing that to others? 
you know, I think about a lot of times we're shown something before we're taught it. We learn by what somebody showed us, don't we? One that stands out to me is when I was a little kid, I watched people mow grass all the time. Nobody gave me a lawnmower manual, but you know, if you did take the manual, you know what the manual would show you? Not only how to start that lawnmower, have any of you ever looked at one? It'll even show you how to mow your grass, you know, how to set your wheels and things. Well, nobody got the manual out and taught me. I just watched people mow grass. And then one day, my dad said, son, and I said, yes, father, today you mow the grass. And I have hated mowing ever since that day. The showing was much more fun than the knowing and the doing, right? So when I got ready to start a family, I said, Lord, please give me a son that can mow the grass one day. And the Lord graciously gave me two. And I had my lawnmowers. And I let them watch me mow the grass. I never told them what the manual said. I just let them watch. And eventually... I gave it to them. And they knew how to do it. Sometimes we get so caught up in the learning, teaching process that we never do the doing part of it. Does that make sense? You know, uh, we, we learn and we learn and we learn, but we never do, do, do. Now, I've been told I get to run the PowerPoint. There's no telling what's going to happen. All right? But they've assured me, this is how they told me I could do it. They said Thad can do it. <laughs> now, I don't know what that means, but I guess I find comfort in it. So let me see if I can change one here if, if I'm pushing the right left side. Oh, hold on. I had it upside down. Nope. All right, I'm pushing a button. Do I have to push point it somewhere? Left and right arrow on each side. Are you sure Thad can do this? Oh, I see. I think I may see what happened here. It wasn't on. Now can I push the left button? What happened? Okay. Well, that concludes our service for today. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. <clears throat> Thad, I understand why you can't work this now, if you're listening. Uh, here, just real quick, some of the reasons that we may not show what we know. Of course, the, the, the one of them is that uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but it could be that it's just a non-believer who has information. You know, you can just have information, but... We're talking about a Christian who has knowledge here. And uh, so one reason that we don't share is because we have this uh, fear of failure. You know, if I, if I try to do it, I may not be able to live it out. You know, and if that happens, what will I, I look like to other people? That'd be embarrassing if I did that. So I'm, you know, I just, I fear that. Uh, another one is uh, we have that... Uh, Prefer the life of ease. Let somebody else do it. Well, you know, so-and-so does a good job at it already. 
I, I loved uh, at a church I was at before, a couple of the older guys, uh, one of which was my uncle, said, well, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. It's time for the young fellas to take over. In other words, he was retiring. You don't retire <laughs> from Christian living, you know. We got to keep on. But, you know, we prefer the life of ease. We're, uh, let somebody else do it. We, or we don't want to create expectations. If I do it, they may want me to do something else, right? If I show them I'm good at this, what next will they ask me? So we just kind of shrink back. Nah, I don't think I can do that. I don't know how to do it. And finally, I don't know what I know. You know what you know? Um, I remember when I first got into apologetics, the uh, very first time I taught a church on apologetics was because the person who was supposed to teach it couldn't be there and gave me an hour and a half notice and met with me to cram me in a topic that I said, I don't know this, and sent me on my way. And when I got there, guess what? I found out I knew it. You know, sometimes we don't know what we know until we try to do something. Have you ever been in that situation? And then suddenly you realize, hey, I'm pretty smart after all. I did know how to do this. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and, and I think he recognizes that we have these tendencies. So in chapter 3, verse 10, uh, he begins to remind Timothy that we need to show what we know. And that involves us considering certain things, such as uh, knowing what we know. I think I went one slide too far. Yeah, know what you know, and then we need to show what you know. Know what you know, and then show what you know. <clears throat> Jesus is a great example of this. How do we know that Jesus was the Messiah? How did, how did his followers determine he was the Messiah? It was not as much about what he taught as it was about what? What he did. They observed, they saw, and they said, this is the Messiah. How do people know that you're a Christian? Is it because you talk a good game? Or is it because you show a good game? You know, a lot of times what the world's looking at is does your showing match your knowing? If you're out here saying this and this and this, or this is how you ought to live your life, and you're living the exact opposite, which has more meaning to those who observe what you're doing? They're looking at what you show and they're saying, I don't think he really believes that because he's not doing it. You know, you hear people say, uh, <clears throat> don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, what's that about? Don't do as I do, do as I say. You're, so, in other words, you want me to be better than you, you know, the message, and you're asking me to do something you don't even do. We need to know it, but then we also need to show it. So there's a couple of ways uh, that this happens. Uh, one, we need to consider the source of our knowing. Uh, those are our mentors in the faith, and we also need to recognize those mentors in the Scriptures. Now, just take a second and reflect on that a minute. 
when I talk about mentors in the faith, does anybody come to mind for you? They don't all shout it out. This is just thinking about. What about mentors in the scriptures? You know, those guys and gals that are really great teachers, great communicators. Well, if you see that very same person living a life contrary to what they teach out in the world, are you still going to be drawn to their teaching? No. So it's important that we show this. And so Paul starts with that in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. Okay, look what Paul says here. He says, watch how I live. Now look at that again. Isn't it interesting that Paul says, but you followed my teaching. But then look at the list after that. You didn't just follow the words that I said. You followed my conduct. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith, patience, love, perseverance. In other words, Paul says, you followed the teaching that was expressed through what? My doing. You could look at me and you could observe my conduct. Now, if we'd be honest, most of us probably wouldn't write that list of those we were mentoring, would we? Follow my conduct. Follow my purpose. Follow my faith. Follow my love. Follow my perseverance. It says a lot about Paul, doesn't it? It says that not only could you hear Paul's words, you could see how he lived his life. You could see his conduct. And he says you could see that conduct expressed in things like purpose, faith, patience, love. Continuing on, persevering. But then look what he says, verse 11. Persecutions and sufferings, such it happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, <clears throat> Paul, on his first missionary journey, had went through this area of Iconium and Lyconia, and there was these cities... Lystra and Derb there. And Timothy, they were so close together, they were almost like, you know, communities. Kind of like Trustful and, you know, Birmingham, right up next to each other. And so uh, Timothy was in Lystra. And Paul came through Lystra. And we know from his letter to Timothy that during his visit, Timothy's mother and grandmother became believers. And they led Timothy to faith. On Paul's second missionary journey, he goes back to those cities. And he finds a man whom everyone spoke well of, it says, a young man by the name of Timothy. And he asked him to go with him. Well, on his first visit, we're told that a group of Jews from Iconium, a little bit to the west, came to Lystra. They didn't like Paul, so they came to Lystra and followed him. And they saw the success they were having. It says they drug him outside the city and stoned him to the point that everybody thought he was dead. But Paul pops up. <laughs> He's okay. 
And they take him to Durr. He says, the Lord delivered me out of that. But remember, Timothy's enlister. So when he says Timothy to Timothy, you not only saw my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my perseverance. He said, you saw the persecutions that I suffered. You're aware of what happened to me at Lystra on that first journey. And then he says, you saw it, and then you joined me. Let me hey, look with me back real quick back at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Get a little bit further idea about what Paul is talking about here. In uh, this chapter, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church uh, about uh, these false teachers that were among them. And everybody was getting impressed with these false teachers, uh, what they were teaching. They said, boy, they got great qualifications. So Paul says, you shouldn't be following these guys. And and so he picks it up in uh, in verse 21. He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, comparison to those false teachers. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. What Paul means is they'd come bragging about themselves to everybody, building up their reputation and their case. And Paul said, that's not how I act. You know, I'll let you see what I'm doing. But he said, but if I must boast, here's the things I would say. He says, are they Hebrews? Verse 22. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm speaking now as if I'm insane. But he says, I am more so a servant of Christ. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I have spent in the deep. Verse 26, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. So when Paul tells Timothy, join me in my persecutions and sufferings, here's a list of those. Because see, that's what he says. Church, join me in this. What? Is that the cruise ship you want to get on? I mean, think about it, really. Is that, uh, this, this is Paul's brochure about what his ministry is all about. Come join me and be lashed 30, 39 times. Be beaten by rods. I offer you the opportunity to be in a ship that sinks and you'll spend the whole night and day in the water. Join me on this wonderful mission. How many want to go on that? Be honest. Who wants to go? It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Well, I don't think Paul's saying that we need to go out and do things that will get ourselves beaten up. But what he's saying is, Timothy, if your ministry takes you someplace, if your doing takes you someplace, if your showing what you believe takes you someplace that causes you hardship, don't worry about it. That's where you need to be. You see, Paul didn't get on that ship because he knew it was going to sink. He got on that ship because he was going to preach the gospel somewhere that God had called him. And the ship happened to sink. 
So we can't let our fears of what might happen keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Does that make sense? If God calls us someplace, don't start thinking of all the reasons we shouldn't go because of the dangers that might occur. If Paul had done that, he'd have never went anywhere. If Paul had been that way, I think after the first time he got beaten 39 times, he'd say, whoa, better not do that again. <laughs> you know, See what happens when I do that. But he didn't. But he says, Timothy, you saw all this. Join me in it. People who have shown us their faith in mentoring us call us to join them in doing that. Now think about, again about that mentor. The mentor who you observed living out their faith. Are you doing the same? Are you living out your faith the way that you saw them live it out? Am I living my faith out? Hey, this is for me too, all right? Am I living out what I know? Am I showing that? Our mentors show us these things in the faith. He says, uh, again, going back to uh, 2 Timothy, he continues and he says, uh, Indeed, verse 12, all those who desire to love godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, what he's really saying here is, watch how I live, watch how a person of faith lives, and join me. And then watch how the evil and wicked live, and don't join them. Now, you get the idea of that in uh, verse 5 of chapter 3. The first four verses, he describes these men who are just out for their own gain. And in verse 5, he says, they hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Now, ladies, that's not a knock on ladies. I think what Paul's talking about is the men were out working. That's all who was home when they came knocking on the door. Today, that would be like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that come knocking on the door. Whoever they find there, they're going to share those false teachings with. So, even in Paul's day, they had these people who were going door to door. But verse 7 says, they're always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Always learning. Always learning. I, I love the fact that you're having a class on how to share the gospel. But how many of those classes have you been to? You know? If if I just get one more, I've only had six classes so far on how to share the gospel. I need one or two more, and then I'm going to go out and do it. Listen, (laughs) we already got the information. If we've been through those classes, what's keeping us from doing it? Maybe it's fear of failure. Maybe it's the life of these. You see what we're getting back to? Uh, I'm not saying don't go to the class, but we have to put that into action. It can't be a class just to learn for the sake of, of learning. We can't sit here Sunday morning after Sunday morning just for the sake of learning. There has to be an action point somewhere that we take. And so Paul says that. He says, you know, avoid these evil men. Follow me. And then he changes over here to verse 14. And he says, but, ev- uh, says, but you, however, 
continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from who you've learned them. Now he moves ahead into mentors in the scriptures. He says, listen, there have been those who have gone before me who taught you the word of God, who taught you the scriptures, and you need to continue in that, and you need to be convinced of that. Uh, He said, you saw my teaching, but you also heard this teaching. So what do our mentors instruct us in? Just let me turn back here to verse uh, 5 of uh, Timothy chapter 1. And Paul writes to him and says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Where do you get that faith from? I'm aware of the sincere faith that you got because your mama and your grandmama taught you. Look, here's a whole other sermon, but listen. Moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads, the primary responsibility for teaching our children and grandchildren the scripture is not here. I'm not saying don't come to church, but this is not who has the primary responsibility. We have the primary responsibility. We should be spending time with our kids in the scriptures. We should be talking about the things that God is doing in our lives. Just like we show them how to mow the yard, we need to show them how we live out our faith as well. And Paul says, I'm confident because I know where you got this from. You got good breeding. Your heritage is good. I know where it came from. It's a sincere faith. And he says, so because of that, you, however, verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from the childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Two words, continue, convinced. Now think about that for a minute. Continue in the word. Well, you know, I've read the Bible through five times now. This year I'm going to take a break. Know it all. Don't need anything else. Or I get mine at church on Sunday mornings. No. Paul says continue in the scriptures. Stay in them. Keep in them. Don't let up. Be like mama and grandmama who was teaching you about the word. Stay in it. But I already know it. Continue in the Word. Become convinced of it. Do you realize that if you had the entire Bible memorized, you still need to be in the Scripture? Paul said it's not enough just to know it. He says you become what? Convinced of it. You know, learning is a process. And there are things that we don't yet know that we will one day learn. There are some things that we have heard, we do know the information, but we're not yet convinced of it. You follow that? Well, I don't know about that, Brother Ron. I hear what you're saying, but I'm just not convinced of it yet. Paul talked about that with the Berean Christians in Acts 
He said that they, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. And then he said, searching the scriptures to see if this was so. Paul said, in other words, they checked me out to make sure. Can you imagine that? Paul was preaching, and we said, Paul, hold on, baby. We're going to check you out and make sure you're doing the right thing. I'm not quite convinced. Paul never worried about that. He said, those were more noble-minded. He bragged on them. So here he says, for you, Timothy, don't just continue, but become convinced. When you become convinced of something, that's when it becomes life-changing. I don't care what it is. If it's the scripture, if it's something you've learned about marriage, if it's something you learned about your work, sometimes you do things just because they tell you to do it. Right? And then one day you say, oh, wait a minute, I get it. This is why we should do this. And you become convinced of it. You begin to show it for yourself. So we have these mentors then who have told us to be in the Scripture. They've kept us in the Scripture. They've given us a teaching that we need to become convinced of. And then Paul adds a little bonus. He says, here's why you need to be in the Scripture. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he tells us the source of the Scripture. Where did the Scripture come from? It came from God. Listen, the Bible, this book that we read, that we study, that we cherish, is not just another book. It is the Word of God. There is no other book like it. There is no other truth contained like it. We go to it because it is the only place that we will find the very words, the very message that God wants us to have. So Paul says, that's what you should be studying. I'm not saying don't read theology books, read them. I'm not saying don't read commentaries, I read them. Not saying don't read a self-help book, I need them. All right. What I'm saying is, don't exclude the Bible from that reading. And too often we get studying other materials and we forget the source that we need to be in. So Paul says this scripture is inspired by God. Not like Shakespeare was inspired. But inspired means God breathed. God literally breathed the word into the men that wrote it. So that we are confident that we have the very message of God that's there. Now, I don't care what the New Age are out there views about, you know, how they view the Bible as just another book. This is how Paul viewed the Bible. Paul said the Word of God is an inspired Word. It is God-breathed. And it's a book that's profitable. He says here's what it's profitable for. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I love how... Uh, uh, one of our great writers and pastors, Warren Rearsby, puts this. He says, it means this, the Bible's profitable for teaching what is right, reproof, telling you what's wrong, correction, telling you how to get right, and training, telling you how to stay right. Isn't that good? <laughs> telling you what's right, telling you what's wrong, telling you how to get right, and then telling you how to stay right. That's what God wants for us. God wants us to know what he, we should be doing. He wants us to know what we shouldn't be doing. He wants us to know when we're wrong. 
And then he wants us to keep on staying there, showing what we know. Living it out. What is right, what is wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. Great word there. Well, then what's the result of this knowledge? It's to equip us for good work. And in good work, deeds, and deeds are showing. So Paul says the scripture, what you've seen in others, lived out, what you've heard from others who have taught you, is for the purpose that you might show the very things that you know. That you might live these out in good works, in good needs. Ultimately, all of us come to this point that we need to live it out. But Paul adds, don't just live it when it's convenient. Convenient, also do it when it's not convenient. So he says in uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. It says be ready in season and be ready out of season. Now, it's, it's an agricultural term that we probably don't understand, but I remember when I was a little kid, my grandfather, who lived in Georgia, had a garden that was probably about 20 yards wide and 50 yards long. It's pretty big. as more than a one-man garden, I thought. But uh, after my grandmother passed away, we'd go visit him, and I'd say, Papa, why don't you come home with us? Stay a week or two. He'd say, Bob, I love to, but I've laid by my garden. You've laid by your garden. What in the world does laid by your garden mean? Now, you young people don't know what that means. I didn't know what it meant. I said, Papa, what does that mean, you've laid by your garden? And he said, well, I got everything planted. Crops come up, or the, the uh, garden has come up. And any day now, it's going to start producing fruit, vegetables. And when it does, somebody's got to be here to pick it. So fresh will come up and it doesn't rot on the vine. So he said, I've laid by. I'm staying close to my garden because any day I need to pick it. I need to take care of it. I've got to be ready in season and out of season. See, garden is all about getting ready for the next season, and then when it's in season, working it. So sometimes we have this ministry that God's called us to, and it's abundant and it's growing, and then we go through periods where we don't have anything to do. So what do we do during that time? We prepare. We keep continuing. We keep becoming convinced of. We prepare to carry forward when it is seasonable. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Be ready to go. Never know when the garden might come up. That's what Papa was telling me. I might wake up tomorrow and start seeing fruit. I might wake up in a week and start seeing fruit. I just know it's getting close. It's nearly time. So you've got to be ready when it's seasonal, but also you've got to be ready when times are tough. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanted to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to miss. 
But you be sober in all things, and your hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Even if it's tough times, even if men oppose you, persist. Keep on. Don't stop laboring. Keep showing what you know. So here's three considerations I think we need to think about. First, we need to be in the Word. Recognize you can know more than you show, but you can't show more than you know. Think that through a minute. Got that? We have a lot of knowledge that we're not showing, but you can't show it if you don't have the knowledge. So we need to be in the Word. We need to share the hope that's within us. Uh, you know, it's an old adage. People don't care how much you know as much as they want to know how much you care. If all we're doing is bombarding people with knowledge and not showing any care, concern, I always say for me the greatest evangelistic tool that God has given us is love. You know, it shouldn't be just about I'm fulfilling what God told me to do. I'm telling you about the gospel. It should be I'm loving this person by sharing the gospel. I'm loving them. I'm sharing them. I'm giving them hope in the truth. And then model it. Just like people showed you their faith, showed you how to mow the yard, you model it out before others. You take that and and give it to them. Well, in closing, let me give you, you and me, a little think about. How much of what we know do we actually live and share with others, particularly when it comes to God's desire for our lives? Reflect on that just a moment. Let's all give ourselves a self-examination. How am I doing with the knowing that I have? How well am I doing with the showing part of it? Notice that phrase that he ended with in verse 5. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now, for Timothy, he says, <clears throat> do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Maybe yours is do the work of a teacher, fulfill your ministry. Maybe yours is fulfill the work of a helper, endure that, fulfill your ministry. Maybe it's service, fulfill that ministry. What has God called you to do? Where does God want you to serve? What has God equipped you for? What is his desire for you? I guarantee you it's more than just knowing. It is all about showing. What do people see? Do they see the hope in you? Or is it just empty words? Let me ask you, as we're close. After the song is sung and the prayer, final prayer is given... I'd like for you to, if God's leading you, just to tell someone as you're leaving, I think God is calling me to fulfill my ministry of blank. And if you don't know what it is, just say, I don't know what God is really equipping me for, but it's really my desire to show and not just know. I want to fulfill that ministry. Share that with somebody. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, maybe you've heard the words. Over and over and over again. Maybe you know them by heart, but you've never surrendered. 
This would be a great time to come and ask Christ to be in your life. And say, Lord, I want to serve you. But in order to do that, I know first I've got to believe in you. I've got to receive you. I've got to come to you in faith. If that's the desire of your heart, then when everything's said and done, come see me or somebody else here in the church and just say, hey, this is what God's placed on my heart. I want to know what it means to know Christ. I want to know how to know Christ. Would you tell me and would you show me? Are you ready to answer that question from someone? Can you tell them? And show them what it means. Let's pray. Father, we, we all fall short of showing the knowledge that we have to others. I speak for myself and probably for every person in this room. But we know that you have called us and you have equipped us. And so I pray for myself, for the church here that you'll show us where you would have us to serve, that we would trust you confidently. And Father, I pray that the things that I know, that I'll begin to show them exactly as you would have people to see them. Let them see the hope in us. Let them know the care that we have, the love that we have. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.